Hello, and welcome to VentureCast. I am David Hornick from August Capital. And this is Howard Hartenbaum, also from August Capital. It's been a little bit. I guess it's been the summer. Seems like it was like a month ago. Do you remember... I guess it's not even do you remember. It is the fact that every summer people say, well, you can't raise money in the summer. And yet August is the busiest time for everybody. Yeah, it's just not true at all. It's like, I suppose when after the last crash in 2000, people actually took the summer off because it was like, yeah, there's nothing to see here, people. But, uh, you know, in the years that I've been in the venture business, there's always stuff that gets done in the summer. And we've done five deals this summer something crazy let's take the fall off yeah well we don't need to do it like, we've talked about this on the show before that after what is it, labor day if you haven't done a deal and you're in the venture business you wake up and you go oh i haven't done a deal now i gotta get a deal done and then basically you have to find something interesting before thanksgiving because after thanksgiving everybody's done and so yeah so this is the busy season except that it's not really true because no 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 last year the data showed there was more deals in q4 than any other quarter well so there you go yeah so so may, maybe it is i mean i just know that we're certainly busy year round it's not it's certainly not yeah. end, back end loaded it's not like the end of a quarter for a for a uh, an enterprise software company so so different venture firms have different signature parties and august has the end of the summer party the august annual which many would agree is kind of the signature summer party i think the winter party is sutter hills party where they have a christmas party with a a lot of flair and when we talked about deals at the end of the year and calling them christmas deals if you're an entrepreneur and have a good company and you haven't raised money just go and stand in front of the sutter hill party on december 20th (laughs) with a sign i am your christmas deal i'm ready for you so who's the um the spring deal i mean the spring party party? who's the spring party nobody owns that i don't know Maybe it's yeah. a TechCrunch party we have. Yeah, we get both. We get the the July party, and then we have the August annual, which is not in August, but is annual in September. What about a venture firm does like a Valentine's Day party? Yeah, right. Exactly. The unrequited love party. Come here and... <laughs> and go from stool to stool. Hello there. <laughs> yeah, someone has to own it. Someone's got to own it. Yeah, we've been very busy this summer. Um, your company that you just joined the board of was that made public yet uh, that you invested yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay up, so yeah. mass drop i didn't want to say if it was, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are, we, are we talking about it can we talk about this yes, company yes, anyway so um mass drop um i'll probably describe it differently than david who's closer to it but MassDrop is, is a consumer site for enthusiasts around products. And they have a category of people who are really into mechanical keyboards, or they have a category of people who are really into lightweight backpacking products, or they have a category of people who are really into headphones, for an example. And I've come to the conclusion that MassDrop is better than product reviews. And when I want to... That's good. I'm glad since we put a bunch of money. Well, it took me a while to come around to it, but we described it differently. We described it as an enthusiast site and, you know, the people who are really into products and doing research. But I actually think it's something that's more mainstream, just looking at behavior. So I've been getting... I joined the the backpacking group and frankly I don't backpack but (laughs) I do go I go hiking but I don't really need lightweight backpacking stuff and I get this email and it's like the new Korean made Kova 
ultralight titanium sto- backpacking stove and I'm like click purchase <laughs> because is, I must have that because a hundred people who are really really into this stuff do every bit of market research out there and say this is the best of the best of the best and then they negotiate a great deal on it and I buy it and I, I, I got it in the mail it is awesome it's a great piece I'm never going to use it but it's really <laughs> well now you have to now look at this it's inspired you I have, have to go, to go buy somewhere to cook something I'm going to cook it in my house I'm going to buy some propane but the point being I think that it's like product reviews are a lot of work and there's a lot of bias and a lot of times it's not by people who really even understand the products all that much or like I bought it it's great because I made a great decision yeah. This is about people who are like if you're into mechanical keyboards, like you spend 8 hours a day typing or 10 hours a day typing on your keyboard, there's an argument why you should have the best keyboard in the world. You use that product more than anything else, go to Massdrop and you can learn about mechanical yeah, keyboards. Right. You will know more about mechanical keyboards in about a minute and a half. So I'm totally into uh into board games. I think they're I think they're amazing and different and fun and whatever else. And Massdrop has a a game shop category and they have um, they have a bunch of Magic the Gathering stuff whatever but they also have a bunch of board games and the things that thing that I think is super cool is I'll see a, 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 a bundle of games and I'll have one of the games and then there'll be two others and I'll be like oh, well what are those games or I'll see someone recommending one thing and then the comment thread is oh it's like this other game and then and then on Mastrap they have things that I hadn't seen they gather up things I hadn't seen like there's a there's a video podcast called Tabletop where they play the game. And if you ever like been super annoyed because you have to figure out how to play the game, you don't have to do that. Just watch Tabletop and you'll see the rules in action and you will then know how to play the game. And because oh, nobody likes play. reading the rules. No, you don't read the rules, you just watch them play. Oh, it's this and it's this and this and then they play it and you Oh, okay, great. I get it. It's funny, it's interesting like Anyway, so I agree with you. I think, uh, I mean, this is why we were we were excited about the company. But when you when you dig into it, I got a bunch of hey, why are you doing this? Because it's just group buying. And remember, in the late '90s, there were group buying companies that that failed. And I said, no, no, you kind of are missing the point because it's about enthusiasts and it's about you know it's kind of next gen forums. It's really about that that information. It just turns out that it also then says, okay, and by the way, if a hundred of you buy this thing, you'll get thirty-seven percent off. If two hundred of you buy it, you'll get forty-five percent off. And that's like, oh, great. That's you know, that's a bonus. I just like the data, like. Yeah, because think about when you go to Amazon and you're looking at reviews on products, and there's 362 reviews, and you start reading the five star reviews, and you start reading the four stars, then you dig down what are the one and two stars, and you're trying to draw your own conclusion: Should I buy this product? Is this the best product? And you're comparing it. It's a lot of work. Yep. I don't want that work. No, and here it's people propose, oh, here, which of these three things is the best pair of headphones or whatever. I just got this pair of Master and Dynamic headphones. Master and Dynamic are like these high-end headphones. There's a headphone community and that have like the greatest frequency range ever. <laughs> and so, uh, and the um, and on Master Up, they more have, than your ears. It, it is literally more than your yeah. ears. It goes yeah. lower than your ears and it goes higher than your ears. Great. Which is like you know, wasted frequency. You could put, you could send information that way. Actually, that's how uh, that's how. Um, uh, what's the wireless power company? How they U-Beam. That's what U-Beam uses. Maybe you could w- listen to music, but the really super low-end frequency that you can't hear could then drive power to your other devices. <laughs> That's or to your wireless headphones. <laughs> yeah, circle it back around. 
it'd be like a, a, a like a, a, a permanent loop and you could never have to power them again I don't think that works but anyway uh, <laughs> so I, I these headphones if you go to mass drop there's a whole there you know there's a the commentary about which ones and then I saw my favorite headphones which are etymotics if you ever used etymotics they're in-ear headphones they were designed by these like uh, 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 scientists, it's not they, they weren't they didn't start out as commercial headphones and they're incredibly precise. But if you don't like in ear headphones, they'll make you crazy. And then I just got a pair of beats for you know, free. You, yeah, I was gonna say, you're like, why would you get beats, David? If you have if you have Master and Dynamic and you have Etymotic, you do not get beats. That's like the you want me to sell them on eBay for you? Yeah, that might be the answer. <laughs> but so the reason you, that I got beats is, um, that they're, you know how Apple has always had a back to school deal, and usually, and basically what they do is they kind of pimp their new thing. So when the when the iPad came out, if you bought a, a laptop for back to school, you got an iPad. When the what you know the they you could get a iPod in the early days. So they just bought Beats, and so now if you buy a laptop, my kid going off to college got a new Apple laptop, you got a free pair of Beats headphones. To which my son said. How about I take your master of dynamic headphones and you keep these? Like, punk? No, get, get your own. You can't. You can't afford them, punk. But anyway, I think it's. I think it's very clever. That's a, that's oh, clever for them because the cost of goods on the Beats headphones must be really cheap. And it's a huge like five dollars or something. Huge perceived like that. value, right? It's yeah. a one hundred ninety nine dollar product. I wonder what the. I wonder what do you think? It's only a five dollar cost of goods on a pair of Beats headphones. Maybe ten. So it's all intellectual property. It's one hundred and ninety dollars worth of intellectual property. We can probably let's ask Mastrop; they'll know. Yeah, <laughs> find out what the deal. What is. headphones cost? Yeah. Oh, it, it, they actually. We, that's exactly right. Turns out, if you were to create your own, they're pretty inexpensive. The problem is, you don't know which ones will sell. I wonder if. Mass drop could be useful for the successful Kickstarters programs where people are talking about, you know, a company who are enthusiasts by nature are proposing some neat product and they're gathering money from potential customers. It is a demand generation platform, but there's really no way for other enthusiasts to evaluate the product and make a decision, more of an unbiased opinion. So, Kickstarter, you could say marketing. You know, IDN marketing is where it's at, but there's really no evaluation of the product. I wonder if there's a way for the you know community of 150 of the world's you know deeply interested people in high frequency headphones could look at something on Kickstarter and then determine if it's really good or not, so that it's not just yeah. That's a great video. I, I think in the long run, brands will pay to get their goods on kick, on on mass drop. Because you know they'll get the validation, right? So better than you, a review. Yeah, it's like paying it's like for reviews. Get it, get it in a th- if you could sell a thousand of the new headphone model on Massdrop, it jumpstarts the enthusiast community who are you know who could say this is truly better, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, of course, you have to be better, but you know. But I think I think in the long run, sort of like uh, Ebates, where if you put an ad in the front of Ebates to say, "Hey, get six percent back instead of three percent back," you sell a lot more stuff uh, on Massdrop. I think people will ultimately say, "Like, you know, can we can we get our headphone into a into a drop?" And um, so that'll, I mean, that'll be interesting. I mean, Massdrop came up this morning because I got a marketing email from them. They had a backpack for dogs, and I was like, I didn't know I need that. 
But I need that. I need that. My I want to make my dog. Lazy dog. And you have a big dog. Your dog can carry like some serious. No, stuff. this is very practical. Yes. My dog is a big German Shepherd, and when I walk my dog, I have to carry around its poop in a bag afterwards. I'm so going to make that dog <laughs> carry <laughs> its <laughs> own. That's very clever, Howard. Oh, thank you. Now you carry. You I don't carry. want it in my pocket. My dog is, I think, six pounds. So your dog could carry my dog. <laughs> maybe we could that's the next guy. That's maybe, like a kitty doggy backpack. Maybe we could have your dog take my dog for a walk. I mean, it's a horrible thing to say. There is somebody in my neighborhood in Los Altos who their dog goes to the bathroom and they pick it up in a little baggie and they make the dog carry it. <laughs> like in its weird. mouth with the plastic bag oh, hanging seriously? from its mouth like a toy. And they've Aww. trained the dog to do this. And that's every time I see it, I just think it's cruel. But I ain't going to take it away from the dog. But Yeah, exactly. But now you can just pop backpack. it in your, in your doggy backpack. I think there's I'm a market for doggy. I think there's a market for doggy backpacks. Well, we'll I hope out. so. Because, you know, we just funded the company that's selling it. <laughs> All right, enough pimping yep. mass drop. Enough right. the pimping mass drop, although it's really fantastic and you should go on mass drop. It's too bad we don't like have an invite code so we could get, you know, credit. Yeah, just go to massdrop.com. Yeah, massdrop.com. Tell them Howard and David sent you. Yeah. Um, so you had an email. We, we were talking about this uh, the other day. You had an email from an entrepreneur who uh, wanted to get a meeting with you. So yes. tell me, tell yeah. me what happened. Yeah. So let me. I, I actually think I'll just read you the email chain, and it'll it'll say it all. Assuming I can find it. Yeah. So I get this email. Perfectly, perfectly lovely email from someone with whom I've traded emails before, which is great. So, and the email said, hope all's well, wanted to catch up. Also, I have a very interesting company that we should discuss. When do you have a few minutes to talk? So what's your response when you get an email that says, it's got an interesting company, do you have a few minutes to talk? I'd say, so that I'm prepared for the discussion, can, I, can you send me a little background information on the company? I said, do you have an overview I can check out? seems reasonable he writes back i can get you one can you talk for a couple minutes now or tomorrow so i said i would much rather just give a quick read thanks now you and i know the 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 point of giving a quick read is like most of what we see is not a good fit for us right so it's not that i'm trying to be a jerk i just feel like you know whatever i mean so (laughs) he his interestingly said David, let's have a couple-minute conversation. It'll be brief or whatever. Like, okay, fine, but, you know, it really would be better if you just would send me an executive summary or a PowerPoint. In in the same three minutes, I'll be able to get the information I need to know if the conversation is is, is worth having, not because I'm trying to trick you out of that conversation, right? I mean... Yeah. Well, I'll give I'll give another case which which I explained where somebody that I know and trust said, hey, Howard, you should meet this entrepreneur. She's really great. I said, okay. Uh, send me the intro. I got the intro. And, and I said, what do you do? And said, well, I'll tell you when I meet you. And I said, great. Would you mind sending me something ahead of, ahead of uh, hand for background? Because you're in the city. I'm down here. One of us is going to spend two hours in the car in an hour meeting, whether it's me spending three hours or you spending three hours. I just want to make sure it's a fit be- before meeting. Um, but we can go ahead and schedule the meeting, but please send it beforehand. And 
she responded back, oh, you know, that's that's kind of rude, and, you know, you got the introduction from so-and-so, and we should get together. And I was just like... There you go, being rude again, asking for an executive summary. So I just go, fine. Why don't you come down and, and we'll meet? But keep in mind, there's a very good chance you'll get two slides or 20 slides into the deck, and there'll be something that means it's not a fit for us, and it will have been a waste of your time. Three hours of your time, including transport. And she's like, oh, no, it's not a waste of time. It's, it's great. It's all good. Meeting it's my Howard job. Hardenbrum is never a waste of time. Mm, haven't heard That's, that before. Oh, I've seen it tattooed on someone's butt. <laughs> what are you looking <laughs> at somebody's Howard, butt for? Meeting Howard <laughs> is never a waste of time. I didn't tell you whose butt. <laughs> um, so anyway, so the entrepreneur comes down and really impressive person and goes through the entire pitch. And um, I am focused and looking on looking for series A deals. And when I'm looking for something that's a later stage at series B or something, I want to see a lot of business traction in the company. And the, granted, the founder was really impressive. And frankly, it was a reasonably good idea. But they really had just pivoted, didn't have a lot of traction, and had already burned through 15 million bucks and wanted to raise an even bigger financing at an up round. And that's just not a fit for what I'm doing, and maybe there's somebody else who is. And I said to the entrepreneur, we're in the meeting 45 minutes, I said, you're awesome. Your new idea is kind of pretty interesting, but it really is kind of back to a seed stage deal, and yet you're raising a Series B and asking for tens of millions of dollars in valuation. I'm sorry, that's not a fit for me. And I, and I hate to say it, it was a big waste of your time to come all the way down here. And she was very nice. Oh, no, I really appreciated meeting you and this and that and left. And that was the end of it. And all I was thinking of is maybe the CEO is not going to make it because they're not using their time efficiently. Like if they could save three hours by simply sending a deck ahead of time, that might be a good well, move. Well, it's also, um, it, this is the problem there. It is, you're not going to trick someone. I don't mean trick, but I mean, it's, you're not going to talk someone into investing in your business that's not a good fit for them. Right, it's like when I've said to someone, "Hey, I don't, I don't think this is a good fit for us because I'm not convinced that X, Y, and Z is true." And then I get back an email saying, "No, you're wrong about that. You know, here's why you're wrong about it," and becomes this sort of argument. It's like, no, don't. If if some venture investor is convinced that there's a reason why it's not a good fit for them, go find someone else. The likelihood that you convince them, unless they're just wrong, like, "Oh no, you misunderstood the market. Here's the answer," or whatever, right? You're much better off spending your time talking to someone else than, but so I had I had a pitch once where three or four slides in to the to the pitch the 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 um, business was sort of similar not it wasn't a seed but some good technology but not very far along and then I get to a slide and it says raising sixty million dollars and I said. Is that is that a typo? Are you at sixty million pre or you know? No, no, we need sixty million dollars because this is what we need to do. Whatever else, and I said, well, are you thinking you're selling the, a, a majority interest in your company or he, no, no, absolutely not. And it was the same thing. I said, well, it's then I don't think this is a good fit for us because it doesn't seem to me for these reasons. That's like, not our know. model. And he was sort of very off put. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like. You should hear. You should hear the rest of the story. Uh, no, the rest of the story is why you are gonna. You think you're raising too much money at a price that doesn't make sense based on what I know of your business. It doesn't make any sense. And and ultimately, he finished the rest of the pitch, and then I delivered that message. Like, nope, <laughs> it's not. You know, it's not. Yeah. So, how many times in the past 
15 years, however long you've been doing this, have you had a pitch where it became contentious? Because I can think of one for me, which I'll describe, but have you ever had that happen? Well, yeah, sometimes. What happened? But not very, but not very often. I can but, think you know, of them. My most contentious one was, uh, let's call it a, it was a social network in the early days of social networking. Called Facebook. Uh, or the it Facebook. Wasn't face, it wasn't Facebook. It was another company, and they showed, the, and they gave me a slide, and it was, here's Facebook and its growth rate and where they are, and here we are, and here's our growth rate, and if we continue compounding our growth rate in X number of months, we'll be bigger than Facebook. And by the way, Facebook was already big. 200 million users or whatever. And I said, look, no, that's not going to you're you're not going to be bigger than Facebook. I mean, you may be something miraculous, but, but that you can't your business can't be predicated on the idea that you're bigger than Facebook. And we got in this back and forth and he's like, "No, I'm going to be bigger than Facebook." And he's like, "But they, you know, you're talking about compounding because they're at 200 million and you're at, you know, a million. So, of course, you're growing faster than at 200 million." Did they make it? We had this back. No, they went out of business. Oh. But it was just like Maybe uh, if you had funded and them. And finally I said to him, a, you're never going to be bigger than Facebook. B, I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't care if you're bigger than Facebook. You still could have a fantastic business. There are big companies. You know what? Twitter's never going to be bigger than Facebook either. And when they pitched it, they were never going to be better, bigger than Facebook. But they became a great business. Like, there are businesses to be had. But when entrepreneurs are, are absolutely dig in on a thing that just is not even... That, that, it's one thing to dig in a thing that you're wrong about. Okay, fine. It's another thing to dig in a thing that you're both wrong about and it doesn't matter. Like, you, like who the fuck cares? You, you still could build a big business. So, so let me give my example. This is more along the lines of I knew, like you said, you're three slides in and the guy's raising $60 million for a seed. I was sort of in the situation where a few pitches in and he gets to the team slide and the guy pitching who is the sole founder of the business said and as soon as I raise the money I'm going to hire a CEO and I'm going to hire a CTO and I'm going to hire this and I'm going to be a non-executive chairman of the company <laughs> and I said oh I said you know I, I just you know I don't want to waste any of your time but that's not our model we are trying to invest in entrepreneurs that want to build their own companies are going to be full-time not somebody who wants to armchair it and hire people to kind of run the whole business and he, he got quiet for a minute and then he got angry and said well I could have told you that I was gonna you know be the CEO of the company and drive the company forward and taking your money and then immediately after done this I could have lied to you and get the money and I said now I know I'm glad I'm not investing in you. <laughs> he started yelling at me. And I was just like, I'm sorry, but let's just end the meeting. It's not going in the right direction. Yeah, the part where you're yelling at me? That's it's yelling like, at me. Like, Have you ever I, heard me yell at anybody? No. No, and it's like, and I, you know, look, we all we talk about the dating analogy all the time in venture, in the venture process. Like, can you imagine, you know, three seconds, three minutes into your, a date with someone and then they're like, no, you're wrong. Like this is wrong. You're you're misunderstanding. And I could have lied to you, but to, to, you know, to sleep with you, but I didn't do that. I, I told you I was married, and <laughs> Why are you, it, you would sleep with me if I had told you I wasn't married. But that yeah. would have been dishonest. And then that would be the end of the date. That would be like, and you'd be like, you're psycho. Like what? What are you talking about? So, don't do things that you wouldn't do in a date. 
So I think the theme here <laughs> is, is theme? <laughs> the theme is that VCs and entrepreneurs, it's like a sales process and you're just trying to find a good fit. And if you can find a reason, like if you're a, an enterprise software company and you call on Yahoo to be your customer and you have a great product and Yahoo says, this sounds really interesting. I have no budget for this. Don't waste your time with us for two years. We have no budget. Are you going to spend the next like few days trying to convince them that they should create a budget for you when they've said they have no budget? That's like trying to tell a v, you know a VC that he should do your deal when he's he has no budget for that. Yeah. So you're better off to filter and find the guys or, or girls who are interested and the ones who say, wow, this is exactly what I'm looking for. It's in a space that I'm interested in. It's at a stage that I like. Is, yeah, I agree. And so you and I, of course, agree with agree on this. But well, we agree with ourselves. We always agree. Um, but it is... The thing that is interesting to me is that there is some sense that people just want, like, hey, just tell me yes or no. I don't need, to, I don't, yeah. I don't want to know why. I don't need to know, I, like, if it's not for you, fine. But like, don't be telling me why it's not for you because then you might be wrong, and I'll have to fight with you about it and whatever else. And you know, you, Howard, are are someone who even in meetings will say. Hey, look! I think I appreciate what you're doing here, here, and here. I think that you're wrong about this, or I'm not sure about that, or this is a different. You might approach a different market, or we're not the right, whatever. And half of the entrepreneurs are incredibly grateful. They say like, "Oh, great! Oh, thank you! Why do you think about that?" They have a conversation. They get value out of that meeting. And they leave. The other half get pissed. Are like. Who the fuck are I'd you? I'd like to think and, it's only 1% that get okay, pissed. Okay, whatever. Whatever the number is. Yeah, I mean, people, we don't see people get really angry. But, but I think, the you know, some people view it as, oh, this is valuable. And other people view it as a rejection. Like, oh, you're rejecting me? And yeah. they have a negative reaction. It's just funny to watch because in every instance, you're A, just trying to save them time. And B, giving them your honest feedback. Like, it's not... Okay, you don't believe it, don't believe it, right? But Yeah, get feedback from 10 guys and determine yeah. what. So I'll give two examples, one where it went negative and one where <laughs> it went positive. Yeah. And the one that went negative recently, um, it's a really impressive founder of a business, very successful guy, has done really amazing stuff before, which is I, I wanted to meet him. He has a new business. His new business is growing very quickly, but I think it's a services business. I think it's probably a great business. I just don't see how it's an outperforming investment. And I told him that, and I said, you're going to make money, you're going to have a lot of revenue, you're going to have decent margins, but the market, I don't see how it gets valued greatly. It's not exactly what we're looking for. It's not a software business. And he kind of sent me a note, like how rude I was and how negative, and he had this great experience at this other venture firm years ago where he came in, and self-admittedly, it was a really bad idea, and I had a guy who was you know, pitching with me who was sweating and nervous, and he gave a crappy pitch, and the VC just smiled and was really nice and, and came back to me the next day and said, no, we're not investing. What a great experience I had with that VC. <laughs> and my reaction to him was, perception is reality, and if I pissed you off, then I pissed you off. And that's the way it is. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I use the words, I apologize in the email. What I think about your business is, you're an awesome guy. You've done impressive stuff in the past. You probably don't want any feedback. I'm not investing, and that's okay. By the way, I've already sent you a customer. And I'm going to send you some more because I think your service is great, and I wish you the best. And I don't know how he's reading that email at the moment. Well, but, but he's pissed, right? Because he's if pissed. you're pissed, you're pissed. Yeah. So it's like, oh, don't try and be nice to me. Uh, you know, it's very hard because our job is about saying no. Like, our job is just about saying no. We say it, we do it all the time. And 
and some people want you to say no it's a little bit like sales like some people want you to sell you they want you to sell one way and others want you to sell another and if you get it wrong then they just get mad and you know yeah so i'll give another example where a guy pitched a company recently and it was a company that looks into video what the products are and then you can click on the video and then purchase the products so if Rihanna's carrying a handbag or or Tom Cruise's whole you got shoes on like whatever he's got a watch on like you know what the and, and I said to him I invested in a company called Pixaza, which changed its name to Luminate, which was doing this for images, photos on the web, and really great team. Unfortunately, it didn't turn into a great business. I still got bloody bloody knees from that company, so I'm just going to wish you the best. I don't feel comfortable. And he came back and said, would you mind sharing what the challenge is that Pixaza and Luminate had? Maybe I can learn something from it. And I was like, the guy wants feedback. So I said, the challenge, by the way, Luminate had 250 million monthly uniques for free through partner-publisher relationships. And the thing that they learned is the number of people who actually click through is so small, like hundreds of percentages, um, that even with a quarter billion people per month using the service, the revenue was in the millions of dollars. Business model doesn't foot when you take large number times small percentage. Times small percentage. percentage. And even worse than that, what they learned is people don't actually want those shoes that that Brad Pitt is wearing. They actually use that to start a discovery process. So it, you can't focus on the shoes. You have to focus on what other products are sort of like those shoes. And then we went to brand advertisers and we got Nordstrom's and Macy's to do branded ads associated with it. And it's, the numbers just never worked out. Like when you have a quarter billion people using your product all the time and you can't make any money from it, like it's just fundamentally broken. And so I'll, hopefully you can figure it out. I don't know if the time has changed or what's right, but this is why Luminate didn't work. And he said, thank you. I didn't know that's what Luminate did. I didn't understand it. That's really interesting. I'm going to do more research. Maybe it's relevant to me. Maybe it's not. I appreciate you giving me the direct feedback. And yeah. I felt good about that one. No. That's but not it, the other yeah, one. Yeah, that's the way it should be, right? I mean, this number thing is, you know, it is astonishing. We probably talk about this every venture cast in some form or other. But in the end, like, this is simple math, it turns out. There's a top of funnel in whatever you're doing. If you're e-commerce or you're advertising, whatever, there's the top of funnel. And then some percentage of that converts to the next thing. And then some percentage of that converts to the next thing. And then some percentage converts to someone paying something for something. And then you keep some percentage of that money. And if you do that math and you start at the top and you make your way all the way to the bottom, then you can figure out, is there any hope of this being a gigantic business? It is why I think in in almost every instance, freemium model is a bad model. Because if you do that math, it almost never works out to a big enough business for a well, venture back. The additional challenge of freemium is you tend to attract the people that want free. So then yeah, the right. people you're trying to convert are the people who, who like free stuff in the first place, and they're even harder to convert. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of freemium either. It's tough. It's a tough model. And always the assumption is it is so accelerates adoption that it's great. I'm like, well, it accelerates adoption of free things. <laughs> How do you make money from That's that? That's good. Yeah, you, anybody want free stuff? Yes, I would like free stuff. And the challenge with freemium models is they usually cost money. All right. I'm going to... Uh, uh, 
I apologize to the people involved in Lux, but I am gonna I'm gonna rant for a second here, and 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 hopefully it's instructive. It's not meant to only be about Lux, but it is but it is representative of some of these business model challenges. So Lux, I I uh, I used to tell people how much I love Lux. So Lux is this parking app. You go to the city, you go to park. You, when you get someplace, you say, come get my car. They get your car. It was 5 bucks an hour, maximum $15. They'd park your car. When you wanted your car, you'd press it. They'd bring you your car, right? And I thought, wow, like cheaper, more efficient, all these things. So yesterday when I went to use Lugs, get the app, it had, they had fixed one big problem, which is you, what you, it took them a while to get to you and you wanted to tell them to come when you weren't there yet. So now on the app, you say where you're going and they know where you're going and you know, and so they try and triangulate and get someone there when you get there. Clever, it didn't, the form, I think that's, a, that's an algorithm that will get better, I like that. The price had gone up. When I first looked, it said $6, maximum 18. By the time they got my car, it was $7 an hour, maximum 21 or something. Okay, it's still a fine price, but it's starting to, now it's not like, oh, this is a great bargain or whatever. Now it's okay, it's just it's just the price that you pay to park your car. But, and then I just, then I, then in, in favor of their business model, say, hey, do you want your car washed? Say, yeah, I'd like my car washed. That's a good one. 40 bucks they get for washing my car, but frankly, the convenience was fine. And they say, when your the guy comes, when's the car going to be done? I say, I'll be done at one. They take the car off. I end up being done actually at like two. I call for the car and two things that happen. One, oh, hey, we didn't get to your car wash. What are you talking about? You, ha you knew I was getting my car at one. It's now two and you didn't get to the car wash. No, that's a problem. And your car, we will get your car to you in 27 minutes. 27 minutes? Like, I'm going to sit and... Would you wait for an Uber for 27 minutes? Never. Absolutely not. Yeah. Logistical I, challenges. Right? I would have parked yeah. in... So, I could have walked to four different parking lots in seven minutes and paid the $21. And so, suddenly a thing that was... Extre that had... Cheaper know, and better. Cheap, was cheaper and better was now not cheaper and not better. But maybe that's necessary to make the economics work because if you looked at the economics of the first offering, it was really tricky. Meanwhile, their competitor, I forget what it's called. Zerks. It was Zerks, one of these guys, Carbon. just raised a bunch of money from a car company. So, I, you know, like I, these things are interesting. Again, I'm not trying to throw Lux up, you know, off the bus. I think that I loved the product. I was a user of the product, but the product at, at 27 minutes to return and we didn't get your car washed and whatever else, it's not It's not. The challenge better. with logistically complex businesses is one bad experience and you lose the customers. And unfortunately, there will always be issues like there's traffic or um, AB uh, cats at our office. He was using, I think, Zerks. And they brought him his car and he got in and drove away and his Bluetooth phone wouldn't connect. And he realized he was in the wrong car. Yeah. That they had brought him the yeah. same Prius, the same color, but somebody else's car. And now he's driving around, needs to go somewhere in the wrong car. And he called them and they'd given his car to somebody else. And well, so I, this is, I mean, this shit happens. Yeah, it's not that surprising, except it's just that hard. it should never happen. 
Yeah. So when you have logistical complexity in businesses like these, these are the types of things that when you hear them, I mean, to give an example, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard one of the challenges DoorDash had early on was the the guys delivering your burgers and fries were eating your fries on the way. Because they're thinking like, they've got your little bag of food, they're like, ah, a few fries, he'll never know. And then they eat them and they eat enough, they're like, shit. So then they finish the fries and then they deliver it. And then the people are like, what happened to my fries? And the restaurant's like, I put the fries in there. And the delivery guy's going, I don't know what happened to any fries. And Well, I mean, one of the problems, truthfully, is both a logistics problem but a, a scale problem, etc., which is that you could totally see, forget eating all the fries, you can absolutely see someone eating some of your fries, right? You pick up the thing, you're driving around, whatever, and so it requires you to have drivers who people feel good about. They, you know, they trust and whatever else. And those of us who live in Palo Alto have watched DoorDashers you know, all over the place, and you watch them outside smoking and waiting and picking their teeth and whatever else, and it makes you less confident in the experience, which is why it is so hard. It's why an Amazon gets so much value out of being so precise and being so predictable and creating, that creates immense value over time. You, I, I, you know, I will pay some percentage more to get something at Amazon than essentially anywhere else because I know it will get to me. I know I know it will get to me. I know I can return it. They're like very specific things, right? And it's very hard to build that, that trust. And yet the venture business has been funding all sorts of service-related businesses like crazy. And my strong suspicion is that at five years from now for sure, maybe three years from now for sure, at least 75% of them will be out of business. Tough. So what made you think of Zerks today? You just used it yesterday and you were frustrated with the 27-minute wait. You're still Well, seating. I was thinking about the economics, right? Yeah. You, know, like you think about the economics of the business and what are the economics and how much does it cost to acquire a customer and then what is it co- and then you have to th- and you, then you have to thrill them and whatever else. And so m- m- me, as a customer of Lux, the, life, the potential lifetime value there was hundreds of dollars. Thousands of dollars. Probably you go to the city several times a week. If yeah. You just, yeah, it was a fantastic... Could have been thousands of dollars. Perfect but, customer for them. But... By it being a twenty-seven minute wait, done. You know, I I am in all likelihood now. Maybe maybe I should try it again and see whatever. And by the way, I called customer service and they said you need to leave twenty minutes, to whatever. And so maybe the answer is you have to anticipate, and so you call it before you get there. But the thing that was great about it is on demand, right? The thing that is great about Uber is that it is on demand. That you go Lyft is on demand. You say, I need a car now. How long will it take? Oh, three minutes. Or, oh, it's 13 minutes, what's the other one got? Oh, three minutes, I'll take you, right? Did you see, by the way, Travis Kalnick was on uh, The Late Show last night. He was on with Colbert. Uh, and Colbert said, like, you know, he was very nice. It was kind of, he said, like, what's next? Do you have these food? You have the cars, and Travis said, oh, we're doing food. What's next? And he said, oh, well, how's that going to work? Travis said, well, you're going to press a button, they'll deliver you your lunch. And he said, oh, Colbert said, well, well like, do you get to choose? Like, yeah, you press a button, they deliver you a sandwich. You're like, what if I don't want a sandwich? <laughs> oh, well, you'll have some choices, and it'll be in the car. And he's like, you'll have a tuna fish sandwich sitting in the glove compartment? Like, I don't want a tuna fish sandwich sitting in the glove compartment. <laughs> no, no, you get to pick or whatever. It was, I mean, it was, what is amazing 
is that here is the first week of this guy's show. And yesterday has Elon Musk on. Today he has Travis Kalanick on. These are like... When tech icons are becoming like pop icons. That is weird. Yeah, big consumer brands. Big and and he's and 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 uh, I mean this must have made Travis feel really great. Uh, Colbert says, "How many of you have used Uber?" And you could tell from the audience reaction, it was everyone, everyone. Which that's is a why bad I, sign. Maybe the market's saturated. <laughs> that's why they're doing lunches now because they've saturated yeah, like, yeah, the pickup. <laughs> no, that business is one where you use it once, and then you use it ten times, then you use it a hundred times. I think the interesting thing is. Can you imagine the conversations going on at the bi- at the boardrooms of the big auto manufacturers as they look at Uber and they look at Google self-driving cars and Tesla and they're like, we're getting attacked from every single direction. How are we going to survive? Yeah. What do we have to do? I bet most of them have no it clue. Is, it is truly astonishing to me that nobody, that none of them has attempted to buy, uh, buy Tesla yet. Now maybe it's so expensive, it's Can't so valued, it. or whatever. Yeah. But, but it's just you know, it's like anything else. You're gonna have to survive, and and it's perfectly clear. I was I was over visiting my buddy, uh, this guy Astor Teller, who runs Google X, and he took me into the garage of the Google X office and showed me their little, the little car that they're. I've seen them driving down my street. They're awesome. They're these adorable little pods, and it turns they have steering wheels right now, but they're designed so that when it's no longer required, they can just not even put it in. And you can sit in your little pod and read your magazine or go through email or whatever, and then it gets you to your office. And I forget what the number was, something like four million minutes driven, and they've had a dozen accidents, and not a single one of them has been caused by the self-driving car. So my street in Los Altos is on their commuting path, and we used to only see the the Lexus RXs, yeah. but now I've seen twice the little pod cars come down the street. I'm getting ready to like throw see something in front yeah, of the car, try, you know, do something and see what happens. Can you imagine the press <laughs> I could get if I jumped in front of a Google self-driving car, got hit, and caught it on video? How Good much? Idea, Howard. How much would Google that? pay me for that video? <laughs> oh my God! He's not going to do it. Those of you listening to this, Howard's just surmising. No, no. Right now, they're looking up my address and they're going to change their commute yeah, path. That's right. what they're going to do. Which was exactly what you wanted to do. Well, mission accomplished. If if nothing else has been achieved in this episode of VentureCast, it is that you have gotten them to change the route for Howard Hartenbaum's house <laughs> in Los Altos. You can look it up. <laughs> I'm sure they know where it is. <laughs> they know everything. Yeah. Well, you've wasted another perfectly good hour. I stole that from uh, the car talk. Guys. The car talk guys. <laughs> <laughs> and in this instance, you've only wasted 42 minutes because I was chatting with my partner Vivek about his his son's party tonight. <laughs> so I missed the first. 15 High school minutes. kid with a hundred friends coming over. They need security. Yeah. So, and I know yeah, where you can get security. Uh, <laughs> anyway, all right, people. Well. Thank you. This is David Hornick. This has been VentureCast. And this is Howard Hartenbaum, also been VentureCast. (laughs) And uh, we appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. Thanks.